Let's all take your hymnals, and uh, we'll all stand first. Take your hymnals, turn to 421. And 421, the first call out. Amen. Thank you. Maybe see it unless you have a birthday or an anniversary. Oh, wow. Anniversary. How many years? We got a birthday? Right, let's sing anniversary first. Here we go. Anniversary to you. Anniversary to you. Happy birthday. 
it's great to be in the Lord's house today and have the, uh, each one of you here. I was just recounting uh, early in the morning, doing some thinking and praying. And, um, you know, last year at this point, I thought, surely this will be the year the Lord comes. 2023 will be it. But you know what? Now I look down at 2024 and I think, surely this will be the year, you know? So uh, hopefully you're, you're praying that way, you're thinking that way, and you're ready to go uh, because it could be the year. Matter of fact, it could be before 12 o'clock tonight we're out of here. That would be, that'd be a great new year, wouldn't it? Just start a new year for the rest of eternity in heaven, and that would just be pretty cool. So, um, From the bulletin, we have church cleaning. There's a sign-up sheet back in the back if you can help with keeping the church uh, clean. That would be wonderful. Uh, you can sign up there. You're in giving. If you're interested in making a donation for 2023, uh, you need to do that today. All other gifts after today will be 2024. We have Patch the Pirate restarting on January the 9th at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions, please see Brother Foster. We have a game night and chili cook-off scheduled on January 19th, 6 o'clock here at the church. And so I encourage you to you know, womp up some great chili and bring your favorite game, and we'll just have a good time of fellowship. It's always a fun time. Annual church business meeting will be Wednesday, January 31st, and so uh, we're looking forward to recounting the blessings of this last year, looking forward to what God has for us in the next year. We have couples retreat coming up uh, February 15, 16, or 16, 17, you can pick whichever that is, Thursday, Friday, Friday, Saturday. And uh, more information will be in the bulletin next week about how to go online, fill that out, and so forth. And then prayer requests, we're going to redo our prayer bulletin uh, that we give out uh, every Wednesday night, this prayer bulletin. And uh, so what we, have, what we try to do uh, maybe twice a year is go through and get a clean slate. Because some of these are answered prayers and people just haven't thought to have them removed and so forth. And then some of them are ongoing. So what we ask, if they're ongoing, that you would contact Brother Lalo and his uh, emails right there and just tell him, hey, I'd like these to remain on. Uh, that will not be a problem. But if they're not asked to remain on, then come uh, the first part of February when we put out our February prayer bulletin, uh, it, it will be removed. And so if you want it to remain, uh, then send the email to Brother Lalo, and uh, that way we can keep it current, up to date, and I think that's a great idea. Well, it's good to be in the Lord's house today, have each one of you here with us. Going to have Brother Charlie come back, lead us in another song, and then we'll get to our Sunday school classes. God bless you. Charlie? Hymn number 427, We Three Kings, Orange to Orange, sing the first and the last.
right. Um, the Fosters are out of town this week, and uh, this weekend, and so I've asked Brother Richard if he would come and teach uh, the class. So thank you, Brother Richard. Be praying for uh, the crops. They're wrapping up, uh, getting their passports done, all those good things, and uh, so please be praying for them concerning that. All right, if you have your Bibles, you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, titled this, The Heart of the Missionary. Acts chapter 16, and we'll start off just reading verses uh, 23 through 25. And we'll back up and see what all we can fit during the Sunday school hour. But Acts chapter 16 and verse 23 the Bible says, When they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Verse 25, At midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Let's go to them in prayer. Lord, I do thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word and the truths that we find in it. Pray that you prepare our hearts and minds that we be receptive, seeking to hear from you this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So we back up and we'll back up more to verse 16 to kind of get a bigger, fuller picture of this. But as we go through this passage, as I've already kind of mentioned, we'll be seeing the, the mindset of the missionary as uh, these men of God as they go through trials, as they go through hardships. We'll, uh, also see the response that every one of us should strive to make as we would face such things. We'll also see, as is titled, the missionary's heart towards lost souls. When uh, D.L. Moody was in London during one of his famous evangelistic tours, there were several British clergymen who came up to him and they uh, essentially wanted to know what the secret to the success of his ministry was. And, and so they come to him, and basically, and the way that I came across this, it was worded this way, that they came and they wanted to know why and how this poorly educated American was able to win such throngs of people to Christ. And so they come, and they hopefully, I would, I would hope anyway, that with more tact than that, came and asked him what, What's the secret to your success? And he doesn't give them a straight answer. Instead, he brings these men, these three men, to the window of his hotel room, and which overlooked a busier park there in London. And one by one, he asks them to just look out the window and describe what they see. So they, they do. They, it's a, overlooked a busier park there. And so they describe the scenery. They describe the people and maybe how well-dressed they were or how poor they looked and different things like that. Just whatever they could see with the naked eye. And then as Mr. Moody took his place in front of the window, he didn't say anything, but tears began running down his face. One of the British preachers there asked him, well, Mr. Moody, what is it that you see? The old Moody's response was this. He said, I see countless thousands of souls that will one day spend an eternity in hell if they do not find the Savior. Sure, we could look into his life and not agree with everything that D.L. Moody said and did, but I think it could be truly said of him that he did have a heart for souls. 
I think the same thing could be said for the Apostle Paul, and we'll see it here in this passage. But because these men viewed people differently, not just as wealthy or poor, not just in maybe what manner they could contribute to their lives, not just as sinners, but as souls that mattered for eternity. And because they saw them this way, they approached life with a different urgency and a different agenda than most do. They approached life with an urgency to tell those lost and dying souls of the Savior of the world. And as every one of us have been called to be missionaries to those around us, as we look at this, and I'll constantly refer to the missionary in this, uh, don't let that stop you from personally applying it to ourselves as it does apply to every one of us. First thing that we see is we going back in Acts chapter 16 to verse 16, just getting a little bit more of the setting. We see the mission of the missionary. The mission of the missionary. We picking up the setting there, and it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by Sue's saying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation, and this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and he came out the same hour. So a little bit of the the picture here, they're in Philippi, where uh, if you read through and study the book of Acts, we, we realize that Paul is what we would often term now as second missionary journey. He's come to Philippi now. He's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's seeking to establish a work here. They've already had at least one convert. If you back up just a couple verses, a woman named Lydia. And she's persuaded them to use her home as kind of a home base there while they're there. And so they're doing that and they're going about their preaching. And now at this specific point, the Bible says they're, they're on their way to prayer. They're on their way to the synagogue. They're going to pray and if you know Paul's method of ministry, many times after they would go to the synagogue, they, he would be preaching and teaching. And so uh, imagine that's kind of what's about to take place here. And as this is going on, the Bible gives a little bit more of a picture of what's taking place exactly at this time. As this young woman, this damsel as she's called, this young woman possessed by an evil spirit, a demon, is following these men of God about. And the things that we read that she's saying, true, 100%. These men are servants of the Most High God. Absolute truth. They were servants of not only the Most High God, but the only true God. And as she said, they show unto us the way of salvation. Again, true. That was the message that they preached. But also, if we kind of get a little bit bigger picture of it. The Bible says that this young woman had brought her masters much gained by soothsaying. So we know a little bit more. This woman was somewhat well known. Or fairly well known. In order for her to bring much gains or to make her masters wealthy, she would have to be fairly well known. And likely many, while maybe they would go to try to get some little hand up on whatever is going on in their lives, uh, they also know that they don't really want that in their lives. They don't want the kind of control, or, or they don't want something to have the kind of control that this thing has over her life. 
They'll get whatever information they can, but they don't want it. And so for this woman, and they would imagine, or you would imagine, if you hear someone saying, these are servants of the Most High God, and you're, you're giving your blessing towards that, that they're serving the same person you're serving. And that's the point that this evil spirit is trying to do here, and that Satan's purpose here is to not, not to declare these men as servants of the Most High God, but to try to push people away from the message that they had. And so the Bible says that Paul was grieved. I imagine he would be grieved to the damage being done to the work of the Lord here, but also imagining his grief for the spirit or the soul of this young woman. And so he commanded the evil spirit to come out in the name of Jesus Christ, and he came out the same hour. So we see they're, they're doing the work that God's called them to do. They're doing a good work. They're freeing people from the bondage of Satan. They're doing exactly what they've been called to do. They're really what... It's taking place here is they're creating a better way of life, better society. Then as we continue on in verse 19 down, we see the misconception of the missionary or about the missionary. We see the injustice done here in verse 19. When her master saw the hopes of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to their to the magistrate, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And we already read verses 23 and 24. We see more of this picture taking place here. These men aren't looking for justice. They're not looking for right to prevail. They're angry. They're upset. They want revenge because they're, basically their business was just destroyed. They can no longer uh, gain money from this poor young woman here who's, who was possessed. So now they're upset, and so they, they're seeking retribution. They're seeking vengeance. And uh, so they bring these men, Paul and Silas, before the magistrates, and they, uh, said, they, they make a false accusation here, especially in... Um, if I remember which one it was, verse uh, 20. And the main accusation is there. Is these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. The idea that's given there is that they are trying to cause riots. They're trying to cause an uproar. There's, there is some truth in the, the accusation in verse 21. They did teach customs which were not lawful for Romans to observe. Because they did teach about the Most High God. And Romans were to look at Caesar as God. And so there was some truth to 21, but verse 20 is the, the main accusation made here. And that is that they were trying to cause riots. They're trying to cause an uproar. They're trying to overthrow the Roman government, which isn't what was being done. And if you read the rest of Paul's teachings, you know that's not what he taught. But that's the, the accusation made here. And so following that, then they are... Uh, not given any sort of trial, which they were due as Roman citizens, but and we don't have time for all of that, but they're not given a trial. They're just taken before them. Their clothes are torn off of them, and they are beaten severely. And as we read in verses 23 and 24, they are thrown into prison. As the, the jailer was told to keep them safely, uh, we know that is a char- that charge was, it wasn't saying, hey, you know, we just beat these guys up pretty bad. We shouldn't have done that. We're sorry. Why don't you go ahead and take care of them? Clean them up. Keep them safe, secured. 
Uh, that's not what was being said. It is to keep them secure, keep them safe, make sure that they did not get away. And if they do, your life is on the line. So having received this charge, the Bible says he put them in the inner prison, or that would be the most secure place in his prison. And then again, not wanting to leave anything to chance, he put their feet fast in the stocks. If you picture everything that these men are going through at this time, they've done nothing wrong. Many times, even when we deserve the hardship or the aches and pains, we still would wail and bemoan it and poor pitiful me. But these men, they don't deserve any of this. They've done nothing to deserve these things, but it still has come upon them. And if you can picture, the, I can't truly, but if you picture a little bit the, the beating that these men have just gone through, very likely flesh has been torn, at the very least very badly bruised. And I think you can gain from later on that flesh was torn as their stripes are mentioned being washed, but they're very badly beaten here. And if you've ever been in like a car wreck or anything, you, or just maybe even surgeries, badly hurt in one spot, the last thing you want to do is to lay down and put pressure on that, right? If, if you're bruised on this side, you're sleeping on this side. But here these men uh, are robbed from even the slightest bit of relief. As their feet are put fast in the stocks, they're basically forced, not even in a comfortable chair like this, but they're forced to just sit there one location, or one place, solid, hard, likely very dirty ground, not able to even find the little bit of relief by being able to turn or get the tension or the stress off of their beaten bodies. But then in verse 25, we see the mindset of the missionary. We see the prayer and praise in prison. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. Kind of hit that last bit very quickly, just as he says the prisoners heard them. We know as believers, once we make ourselves, especially once you make yourself known as a believer in, in the secular workforce, people are watching. Especially if they know you're going through some hardship, you're going through some trial, they want to know, how are you going to respond to this? We see the, the, these other prisoners saw how Paul and Silas responded to this trial as that they prayed and sang praises unto God. The first thing the Bible says that they did is they prayed. Right? It doesn't record their prayer for us. I don't know what it is that they prayed. I would imagine, I certainly would if it were me, I would pray for freedom. Right? I would pray that, that right would be brought out, that, that God would uh, show that I wasn't guilty of anything and that I, I could go free and um, I would, I mean, that would probably be the focus of my prayer. So God, get me out of this mess. I imagine Paul's prayer, likely that would be included somewhat, but I also imagine knowing his heart through the, the epistles that he wrote for God's will to be done, that that would be I my I don't know my imagination that that's the key element of his prayer here is Lord, you you know I want out of here and I want to continue to serve you. But don't let my will get in the way of what you want to accomplish with this. Lord, your will be done. 
Following their prayer, the Bible says that they sing praises unto God. James chapter 5 and verse 13 says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Psalm 50 and verse 15, And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Psalm 40 and verses 2 and 3 says, He brought me up also of a horrible pit, out of a miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. We see these verses, especially the, well, really all of them kind of have a similar theme. But if you look back at James 5.13, if you're afflicted, if there's troubles, if there's hardship, pray. Pray to Him. And then both the Psalms speaks of being, especially in Psalm 15.15, it speaks of if you're in trouble, He says, call upon me, I'll deliver you, and then glorify me. Back in James, the second part of the verse says, if you're merry, if you're joyful, if things are good, praise Him. Sing psalms. Psalm 40, verse 2 and 3, the kind of the after picture of Psalm 50 is given, if you will. It's the, He's he's done it. He brought me out of the miry clay. He's got me out of the trouble he put my feet on a solid rock of that solid foundation. He established my goings or my way. Not only that, though, He gave me a new song. He gave me reason or cause to praise Him. But if we look back in, in the passage here in Acts 16, we get a little bit of a different idea. As one of my, it's really, I don't know when it stuck out to me, and, but eventually it hit me. Nothing's changed between verses 24 and 25. They're still in prison. They're still badly beaten. They're they're still in, I would imagine, a great amount of pain. They've prayed, and even likely for deliverance. But deliverance hasn't come. But they're already singing praises unto God. The idea given there is the equivalent of our hymns. It is something that declares God's goodness. They didn't wait for deliverance before they begin to praise God and sing of His greatness. There are many different illustrations that I could give and a couple that I would really like to give. I don't have time for if I want to hit everything else that I want to hit. So we'll just do one, but... Uh, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot are missionaries to the Aka Indians, and you're likely familiar with them. There are several books written, at least one movie put out about them. But Jim Elliot is quoted having said, Compelled by the call from the throne above, from those round about, and even from the damned souls below, I dare not stay home while others perish. Jim Elliot answered the call of God on his life to take the the gospel to the Aka Indians. He didn't have a very long ministry. Uh, I don't remember for sure, and I didn't look it up again, but not very long into making any sort of contact with the Indians, he was killed by them. He was martyred for uh, 
trying to take the gospel to them. And for many, the story would likely have ended there, but Elizabeth Elliot, his wife, decided that that wasn't the end. And God had called not just her husband, but her to take the gospel to them. And so she continued on the work that God had given uh, her and her husband to do. And her forgiveness of these men for killing her husband is credited by many for bringing some of those very men to Christ. Again, there are many other stories. I hope, because I don't have time to share it, I hope you're familiar with the story of Horatio Spafford and the writing with It Is Well With My Soul. But the great hardship and the heartache that is accompanied by the, the men and women like that went through such things. But then if you look at the testimony, you look at what takes place after, all that there is is praise of God. It's, yeah, I wish they were here, but God is good. Praise Him. The question comes to mind, and how can some people have so much joy and peace even and even continue to serve and praise the Lord in the face of these hardships while others become very bitter. We continue on. We'll see that hopefully as we finish off. We then see the message of the missionary in verses 26 and down. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. We see here that God saw these, these men, these servants, unjustly imprisoned, and they're, they're still just praying and praising Him. They're still doing exactly what they ought to do, and uh, we might say it this way, God decided to shake things up a bit. He changed the current circumstances by literally shaking the, the prison, and He opened their doors, their bands were loosed, He put before them both, a literal and, we may say, a figurative open door. And we'll see what they do with that in just a minute here. But Many times God gives us opportunities, but He doesn't then just shove us through the door, shove us through that, but He gives us a choice to make. And we'll see what these men do with this choice here in a minute. But Verse 27, the, the keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep and Seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. Again, this man knows that if these guys escape, his life is on the line. He knows also that the men that are going to require his life of him are not kind men. Not likely be a swift death. It's not likely just going to be off with his head. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be tortured uh, for this. And so... He decides the easiest thing he could do, the best way out of it, would just be to take his own life. But in verse 28, we see what Paul does with this opportunity. As Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. He cries out with a loud voice, leaving nothing to chance. All he would have had to do, if, if he wanted to look at it this way and say, You know, God provided a way for us to escape. He could just remain back in the... Uh, there's no darkness up here. i got lights all over the place. But he could just remain back in the darkness of his cell and let the prisoner or the jailer do what he's already planning on doing. But that's not what he does here. Is 
Paul, we see here, cared more for the life and the soul of this one person, the jailer. He didn't just look at him as the, the guy keeping him from freedom, but as a soul that mattered for eternity. And, and caring more for this one soul than even his own life, he, he cries out saying, hey, do thyself no harm, we're still here. We didn't see divine deliverance for the jailer. As we read verse 27, the, supposing they had fled, Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm. I think I got a little bit ahead of myself earlier, but we're good. Um, so we see that the deliverance for the jailer here is in his question then in verse 30. In verse 29, he had called for a light and he came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. Verse 30, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? The, he, we know he's not asking, as a jailer, he's not asking, what do I got to do to stop what, the, the trouble that could come my way? Right? He knows, he's a jailer, he knows all he would have to do Lock the doors. If he thinks he could, go back in and, and put their feet back in the stocks, lock the doors, and no one even has to know what happened tonight. But that's not what happens. As he goes in, he makes sure they are actually there. He's not just hearing things. He brings them out of the prison cell, and he asks them, what must I do to be saved? The jailer realizes in this moment his personal need. He realizes that these men have what he needs. And I imagine by his question, he knows the message of these men. Right? I don't know. Maybe he heard them preaching in Philippi. Maybe he heard them witnessing to the other prisoners. Maybe they even tried to talk to him specifically and he was having none of it earlier. We don't know exactly how, but we do know by his question that he knows the message. And so he says, what must I do to be saved? And then we see the apostles answer in verse 31. And they say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And the answer is simple. Paul and Silas here in our text, the Bible says in verse 32 that they spoke the word of the Lord. They preached Jesus basically. We know from other writings of Paul, exactly what it is that he would have uh, taught, as we know from Romans 3.23, and that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, and from Romans 5.8, that God had commended His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners prior to us, ever acknowledging Him as God, Christ died for us. In Romans 6.23, we know that the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in Romans chapter 10, and verses 9 and 10, we know that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and we believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, the Bible says, Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This is the message that they spoke unto the jailer. This is the word of the Lord. This is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. 
We didn't see the answer, though, to our previous question, what makes a difference? How can some people have so much joy and peace even in the face of hardships? The answer is seen in verses 33 and 34, and they took him the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. Excuse me. And when they had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. As we reach this point, and then you can tell if you've got your Bible open, there's many verses yet to come that we don't have time for today, but there's... Things are going to turn out good for everyone here in these verses, but they don't know that yet. Paul didn't know when he stopped the jailer from killing himself how the jailer was going to respond. And the jailer doesn't know necessarily what the morning is bringing with freedom for his prisoners, so he's not going to be in trouble for having pulled them out. They don't know what's taking place here or what, what's about to happen. They don't know that everybody's going to be able to walk away from this without any other harm. You can't say unscathed. They've already been scathed. But without any more damage being done to them. They, they don't know what's going to happen, and yet the Bible says they rejoiced. Why did they rejoice? Believing in God. The answer to how some people can have so much joy and peace during the greatest of hardships and others become bitter and whether ever having professed God or not, they would curse His name. The answer is through belief in Him and through trusting in Him, through living a life of obedience to Him. It's through obedience to Him that we can have this True joy. We could go around the room and we could ask everyone what, what makes you happy. And we know, or at least I'm sure you know, that there's, there's actually a difference between happiness and joy. And, and happiness, they say, comes from outside things. Joy is from inside. And in order for us to have true joy, we have to have Jesus on the inside. But we could, if we were to lump them together, as is often done in our daily lives, we could go around the room and ask you, what makes you happy? What brings you at least an element of joy? And likely get a lot of different answers. Maybe family or loved ones, friends. Maybe our different things, trinkets, toys that we like, gadgets, different things like that. Maybe our tools, whatever. But even all, all those things and even the relationships that we have, when those things are gone, the, the happiness or, that we had with them tends to go with it. Even, even joy and happiness that we have in relationships, when that person is gone, there's still joy in the memory of them. But their memory is also tinged with the sorrow of their loss. But here... Without knowing that good is coming, they're still rejoicing. There's still joy because there's a life of obedience to God. One preacher put it this way, so once you've received Christ as your Savior and He becomes your focus 
rather than the surrounding circumstances, it is then that you have real joy. That happiness may be sought for in a thousand places, but can only be found in one. That is our Savior, Jesus Christ. When, once we believe on Christ, our fear turns to faith. Our hurt turns to hope. And anxiety turns to joy. In this account, we, pulling all of it together, and seeing the, the heart of these men, not only towards lost souls, but towards God's will, towards towards right, towards good. We see a challenge not just to servants of God, not just to men of God who get committed their lives to going and doing whatever God's called them to do, but to every believer, I would say, is we pull the jailer and his family into this as they also rejoice believing in God. If there is anyone here who's not yet accepted Christ as their Savior, you, maybe as we looked at this, you identify much more with the jailer than you do the Apostle Paul and Silas. I would encourage you to leave off trusting whatever you think is going to get you to heaven and trust in Him today. Knowing that your works will not save you, baptism will not save you, uh, praying some special prayer daily is not going to save you. Only professing Jesus Christ as Lord and believing on Him in your heart will do it. You come to Him today. He wants to save you. He wants to give you the joy and the peace that comes through knowing Him. But then believer, the question is this, are you showing that joy? Are you showing the joy that is in Christ to those that are around you? Or in the darkest times of your life, do you sing praises to God? Do you continue to lift Him up? Or when the lost come to the point of giving up as the jailer did, knowing that there's nothing, there's nothing they can do, they're at a loss. Hopefully not to the same point that the jailer is, but they know there's something that they're missing. Do they know by the life that you've lived, by the testimony that you've shared, that you are one of the ones they can come to and say, what must I do to be saved? Maybe they don't ask it just quite like that. Maybe it's more along the lines of, you've got something that I need. Or, why are you so happy? You've lost so much. You've gone through more than I ever have. And yet you've always got a smile. I don't know how it is they might approach you, but are you living your life in such a way that they know that you have what they need? Are you faithful to seek the best for others by sharing the gospel with them, even if maybe they're the ones that have caused you the most hurt? This was the case for Elizabeth Elliot. She took the gospel to some of the very same men that killed her husband. After finding out, she didn't then curse their names and be like, well, I wish I'd never brought the gospel to you. She rejoiced with them, the change in their lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3-6 through 6 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. 
and whom the God of the world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. He says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There's really a lot in that, and I'm out of time, I'm done, but we'll just ask this question drawing out of that. Does the glorious gospel light shine forth from you into the darkness that surrounds others? As a believer, that's what we've been called to do. So does it. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, I do thank you for your goodness. Lord, I do pray that if there are any here today that have not yet trusted Christ as Savior, Lord, you would convict them of their need and they would get that right today. And then, Lord, I do pray that those of us that have trusted in you, that we would be faithful in what you've called us to do. We'd be faithful to be that witness, faithful to share forth that light into the darkness. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.